The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the 100th episode of On The Wire. Of course, we're a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Uh, we are recording, as you can see, live from PitchCon 2023. Couldn't be more excited. Kevin uh, joins me as always. I think we've only missed uh, like a five episodes total in two years together. Um, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Adam. Thank you. That's uh, Yeah, it's been... Uh... It's crazy. It doesn't seem like two years or a hundred episodes just because it's so much fun. Man. I think it took us a hundred episodes to finally do one of these things live streaming. Um, and so now we can hear all the edits that I actually make in the background <laughs> on the back end. Um, and they're all going to show up fine here. Uh, so you can kind of see how the magic works and kind of the, the raw data, if you will, of, of the episode. So looking forward to that. All right. Um, well, we don't have a lot of time here. We very we typically will go a good 90 minutes. Maybe even we hit two hours with Errol Cohen the other day. Uh, and so we know we have a hard time limit to 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 reach here with our one hour uh, panel spot here at PitchCon. Um, and so we do find a way to talk to our guests for much longer than anyone probably would assume we would. Uh, we have, like I said, average about 90 minute episodes. So we're going to keep it to an hour. Uh, we're but today, what I wanted to do, Kevin, is I wanted to kind of reflect. It's 100 episodes, uh, two years in the making, um, and we want to reflect on what what we do here. What we give advice, we try to learn from not only ourselves but also from our amazing guests that we've had on the show uh, throughout the last two years. Um, and of course, we're going to talk a lot about that. We are a fab focused show, and we're going to touch on a little bit of fab throughout the episode as well. Um, so to help us do that, reflect um, on everything we got going on here, kind of flip through our Rolodex, our guest Rolodex. We've had a lot of great guests. I went all the way back uh, to to guests that we had all the way back on our fourth ever episode. Uh, I want to welcome to the show kind of fantasy baseball's power couple, uh, Justin Mason and Danielle Salinger. Guys, thank you so much for being part of our hundredth episode. I uh, couldn't couldn't think of a better better pairing to kind of talk this over and the advice that you guys give not only other people but especially going back two years talking about the advice Danielle that you got uh, from the entire fantasy community as you tried <laughs> to troll Justin in winning TGFBI. Um, how you guys doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing really well. It's really great to be here. Thank you guys so much for having us on. 
Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to uh, come on and and uh, and come on again with my wife. I think the last time I was on the podcast with you guys, uh, I was on with my wife. So this is uh, it's it's almost like an anniversary for us as it is for you. There it is. That's what we're going for. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure that uh, we get to as much of this stuff as possible. I really want to pick your guys' brain and uh, Kevin, of course, as well about what it is to receive advice in the fantasy baseball realm uh, what it is to kind of learn from scratch danielle kind of where you are now compared to where you were two years ago when you were first jumping in I, obviously you've been playing fantasy football for a long time um but from my understanding tgfbi was your first foray into competitive fantasy baseball um two years ago absolutely yes it was so let's start with you though what did you get taught uh, back two years ago that you found absolutely useless in, in retrospect? This is going to sound terrible because it is no reflection on the individual that gave me the advice. <laughs> I No shade meant here whatsoever. But I will say Yancey Eaton gave me a ton of great resources. Lots of resources of, you know, where I could get great information for myself during the season. But as I told Justin, I had a very difficult time with the resources because I didn't know how to utilize them yet. I didn't know enough about the game to understand the information that I was being given and how that in turn would then impact my team and my style of play. Um, especially because, you know, I only started learning how to play fantasy baseball two weeks before the start sure. <laughs> of the TGFBI draft, um, half of which I was sick. So I really put myself behind when I was trying to do that. Um, but I was telling Justin, it's a lot like giving somebody a bat and then expecting them to go out and play baseball. They still need to know how to hold that bat, what a good batting stance is, what to expect when they swing the bat, what's going to happen when they hit the ball. Are they trying to get a home run or are they just trying to get a line drive so that they can move a player? There are so many other details and those I had to learn along the way. And I'm a little bit slow at that sort of thing. Um, so I, I found that to be difficult, but I'm still in the midst of trying to learn and, and utilize those resources as well as Yancey does, because Yancey is amazing. Yancey definitely has uh, has been listening and reading a lot of stuff for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm sure the amount of information or at least sources that he was able to present to you is at least useful on the surface. Uh, but like you said, you got to know where to start and kind of uh, how to break it down. Uh, yeah. I mean, Justin, Yancey, you've been... I just want to say Yancey also told me to just go ahead and reach out to people and ask for their phone numbers. That also is maybe not the best advice ever to give somebody. <laughs> so, I mean, the worst that can happen is they say no and they block you and you never hear from them ever again. And my husband finds out and asks me why I'm asking a bunch of guys for their telephone numbers. <laughs> Pretty sure Justin probably wouldn't even ask that. I, I think I'd be more upset about you asking for fancy advice from someone else than, you know, maybe the other nefarious reasons. <laughs> Well, yeah, Justin, you've been giving fantasy advice for as long as probably anybody can remember um, at this point. Um, how do you how do you balance giving out that advice on your many platforms over the years uh, it, while you know balancing 
giving advice you think people should be following. And then without pretty much making yourself an open book in your drafts that your competitive drafts that you're doing on a, you know, m multiple drafts per year on an annual basis. You know, I mean, that is, um, you know, really, that's a really good question. Honestly. Uh, I think it, as far as I feel, um, and not everybody in the industry feels the way I do. Um, my job in terms of giving out advice comes first. I am a fantasy analyst first and a fantasy player second. I hope that my fantasy analysis gives me enough research and um, drive to do well in fantasy leagues, but uh, I don't hold anything back. I'm not one of those people that says, mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to tell you this sleeper or this person I'm targeting. I mean, I do drafts live, like live stream on the air, like, you know, main event drafts and things like that. Um, because it's my job to inform my audience and they come be their teams come before my teams. Um, and that is uh, a tough lesson because there are going to be times where I like Cedric Mullins a lot more than everybody else and everybody else knows it. Um, and, uh, and then I'm not going to get him in my main event drafts uh, the year he breaks out. So, you know, but that is the sacrifice I have to make in order to, uh, you know, have integrity, I think, within the industry for myself. So, uh, again, not a decision that everybody in the industry makes, but I think a large portion of the industry does do that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, Kevin and I have been kind of, I don't know if it's a struggling Kevin with the same kind of ideas since the pod was formed, since we started, uh, you know, creating content for Pitcher List uh, a couple of years ago as well. Kevin, would you say that you've lost out on fab bids in the last two years on a regular basis after making recommendations on the pod? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, especially in our listener leagues. Like, so, I mean, how do they know who I like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. It happens, but I agree a hundred percent with what Justin just said. Uh, it's great. That's why we're doing this. Um, if, if it, if it wasn't our goal to, be transparent and, and, you know, I, I think it actually thinking of it backwards as well. Uh, if we're not attempting to follow our own advice, then we shouldn't be given that advice. So if we're not going to try to follow it, then we shouldn't be saying it in the first place. And then once we do say it, of course, it's, it's going to be out there and people are going to have an idea, but that's what it just makes it more fun to me. Now, of course, not every piece of advice we give uh, throughout our tenure has been good advice. Um, well, at least in retrospect, maybe we had good process or maybe we've thought it was going to be good advice. And we, even we followed it, like you said, Kevin, um, and it kind of blew up in our face. Can you think back at least during the tenure of this show of like the one piece of advice that's truly blown up in your face uh to be in retrospect <laughs> probably the worst advice that we you or i or as a as a show we have given well my, my first thought goes to uh to start pitcher streaming and you know usually things are okay even when they're not what you would hope but i i remember one time uh i believe in 2021 re recommending John Lester in a two start week and he just got blow up in both starts and, and that was absolutely horrible. But going back a little further, um, I told a buddy of mine uh, four years ago that trading Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for Anthony Rizzo and Billy Hamilton was a good idea in a keeper league and that did not turn out well at all.
there's still time. Maybe yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pro- probably not. Um, it's one of those things where you gotta if you do it and you take your own advice as well, and it blows up. You almost feel better about that because at least it hurt you as much as it hurt everybody else um, that might have followed that. And hopefully we're providing uh, more good than bad when it comes to uh, that kind of advice. Uh, Justin, you've been doing this for a long time. Do you, uh, do you have any piece of advice that you can, that comes to mind um, over the years that still haunts you to this day? Uh, I mean, the longer you do this kind of work, uh, the more uh, times you're going to be wrong and offer pieces of advice that you're going to blow up in your face and people never let you forget. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll just give an example from this last year that turned out to just be so abhorrently wrong. Uh, I was fading Aaron Judge, and for really good reason. Like there was talk that because he wasn't vaccinated, he wouldn't even be able to play in home games. Uh, you know, the long injury history. And so, like, you know, going into, like, my main event draft uh, in Las Vegas last year, he was pretty much off of my board. Um, and I told people on podcasts, in articles, you should not even have him on your board because there's a chance that he misses at least half the season. Um, and clearly uh, that was uh, uh, wrong. I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you are, you know, backing up what you say and there's good rationale, um, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to just be flat out wrong sometimes. And that's okay as long as you don't pretend like you're never wrong. I think the worst thing a person can do in the industry is be like, and is not own up to their mistakes uh, in, in logic or uh, in analysis or just, you know, in luck sometimes. Yeah. And as Nick is reminding us, and it was going to come up at some point during the show, Nick, uh, but we are in the business of good discussion, not being right. It's about the process behind the decisions that we make or the advice that we give. Um, so I will echo what Nick says on a regular basis as well. So uh, I, I will call out, there's there's one piece of advice, Justin, that I got from you and Paul and Sleeper in the Bus years ago um, that wow. I utilized in my Dynasty League. And that was when Matt Carpenter um, pretty much uh, looked like he was absolutely wow. done. And you guys were very vocal about getting rid of him. And I got rid of him just like that as well. Um, and he came back I- for a competing team in my... <laughs> My head-to-head league and I never lived down. But the, the fact is you guys never let yourself live it down either. And so that's what yeah. I appreciated about that fact. Is in that my defense, you owned up to it. Um, in, in my defense, uh, as much as I have over the years, I think it's the first time I've ever said this on a podcast. Um, the whole Matt Carpenter thing was actually Jason and Paul. And I was just there and thought, <laughs> wow. like, and I, I have taken ownership of this uh jason and paul's mistake um uh and and rightfully so because i i didn't disagree with them because i thought they were right but i want to say that i never actually said drop matt carpenter (laughs) i i remember the whole matt carpenter thing and i know exactly the time period you're talking adam because at the time i was splitting some uh dfs lineups with a friend and his his first draft one morning was and had Matt Carpenter in it. I said, no, no, he's toast. We're not using Matt Carpenter. And that was like the day he started the breakout. And it cost us a lot of money by me kicking Matt Carpenter <laughs> out of the lineup. It's always different when there's money involved, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, it seems to be sometimes that with the advice giving that you guys do, it's a bit like the price is right and playing Plinko. You can put one of those discs <laughs> in the same slot every time 
but you're going to get different results because there are so many different factors that it's going to hit on the way down. And the same goes with the advice that you guys give. There are, you know, things you can't expect um, or anticipate that are going to impact how that advice ends up in the long run. I, I'd be, I, I, I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. I, I can't, I couldn't believe that it doesn't exist. But there has to have been some kind of study on Plinko uh, as to <laughs> how many times when you put that little coin in a certain spot, it lands in. I mean, in our line of work, there's got to be somebody out there that has done this very important research. Um, and please make sure you DM me the the link to that information because I'd be very curious to see it. I'm not a busy um, mom. I've got time. I'll go down that rabbit hole for you. Love it. Love it. That's a PitchCon <laughs> 2024 uh, presentation in the in the works. Oh, God, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Danielle, are you still playing fantasy baseball, right? You haven't stopped playing. Maybe you don't play in 15 leagues or so. Maybe you do. I don't know. I know there's no. a limit that uh, Justin has now um, on how many leagues, but uh, are you going to continue to play TGFBI and any other leagues um, for your own sake, or is it continuously just a troll job to try to beat Justin? <laughs> I'm not sure anymore of what my reasoning is. Um, <laughs> and that's a good sign. Of, that's a good sign. <laughs> so I, I am still playing. Um, I played in TGFBI last year. I was able to improve um, my play, how well I did, my standing overall. Um, I was even able to improve my standing just in my own league. So in a way, I accomplished my goal. I beat Justin last year. Um, because he finished much, much, much lower than I did. Um, but I, I also was invited into a few other leagues. I had to be cautious about what I took on just because I wasn't sure of what my capacity was to do more leagues. Mm -hmm. So I chose an eliminator league where I didn't have to do anything. Um, you know, we did the draft and then... I would get new players every so often, depending on who got booted out sure. every couple of weeks. Um, and then I also played DFS uh, last year uh, towards the end of the season. So I think it was maybe the last eight weeks of the season or something like that. Um, I played in a competition that was actually against a lot, you know, Paul. Justin, uh, Matt Truss, who I know was with mm -hmm. Justin uh, in Tout. They were in that uh, Tout DFS, and he did very well. I won two weeks in a row. So I, I think I saw some nice. tweets on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one or two. So yeah, I did very. I was very proud of myself. I did. Uh, I did very well. Um, part of it is just that I really enjoy the community. I enjoy the camaraderie. I don't know that I can say I'm at a point yet where I really love mm -hmm. fantasy baseball itself. I still feel very unsure of what I'm doing. Um, and so I'm kind of a, you know, anxious person anyways. And the overthinking that I do with fantasy baseball is, is maybe not the best, but I want to keep trying and see if I can continue to improve. I don't know how long I'll last. I have not signed up for TGFBI yet this year. But we'll see. So do you get grandfather <laughs> Justin, does she get grandfathered in? Or, Danielle, have you created new fantasy content as it was very clearly 
uh, stated in the rules for entering uh, back back when you entered the first season. Um, th- are you grandfathered in or have you continued to create any content? Uh, no, I've made an exception for myself because oh, I'm co-owner of TGFBI. And so I get to play too. <laughs> the, the fantasy content that I do is watching the kids while he gets to go out and do lots of, I mean, for those of you who don't know, Justin is doing 30 podcasts in 30 days doing previews of all of the teams. That's a lot of extra work for me. <laughs> yeah. I take so. it, Justin, you are recording those on individual days as well. You haven't, did, you didn't do like 15 in one day and then 15 in another day and you're just programming them out. You're actually recording them throughout the course of the month. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm recording more in a one day than like, uh, like I'm not actually spending each day out in the office recording those. Uh, like for instance, yesterday I did, six podcasts if you include my PitchCon panel um and so i was on the air for about eight hours of of that of that day um so uh yeah i mean that is uh you know one of those pieces of advice like that someone else gave me that has negatively impacted my life is you got to work really really hard if you want (laughs) to make it in this industry and that means a lot of hours of me doing things uh like recording podcasts yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, of course, you've got Potapalooza um, coming up as well. So you'll be doing plenty of recording. <laughs> yeah. This, this, uh, yeah. That. This is like my, this is like my prep work. Spring training. Yeah. This is spring training for that. <laughs> I like it. All right. Um, well, we're fab centric show, at least in season. So I got to ask you guys some questions regarding fab, whether it's fab strategy, uh, fab, you know, just how you, how you kind of look at fab. So this is, going to give you each one of like a part of this question but in general um i want to know from you guys like how do you guys um like doing fab um are you targeting certain positions are you targeting certain stats and how does that maybe affect uh how you draft especially later on in the draft um knowing that you can go after you, know, you feel good about going after certain things um during the season on the wire or at least you've had success um so danielle First and foremost, in the last two years, since this is your first two years um, of doing it, what has gone right, like doing fab? Fab is one of the more, I guess, intricate parts of learning. You have to learn because you have to do it every week, especially in a weekly league. And we're not even talking about daily moves or fastest oh. finger types of leagues. We're talking strictly, we'll just stay with TGFBI style, NFBC style, weekly leagues. You're placing your bids, no um, no $0 bids. So you got to spend all you know $1,000 of your budget. Um, you know, what went right for you and kind of what went wrong for you, at least in the last two years of your first uh, instance of doing fab? I want to start off with saying I don't like fab. I don't <laughs> like it at all. If uh, I could, I'd come up with a Dr. Seuss rhyme for how much I don't like it. Um, I don't like it so much that I had two football leagues this year that had fab and I was like, nope, not touching those. Nope. Not even gonna, I did nothing with it. Um, I am still... Uh, a student with fab i don't really know what i'm doing because the leagues that i have played in there's no telling really when the other league mates were going to go all in on somebody um, and when they were going to be a little bit more casual about it so it was always a guessing game for me whether i needed to go big on my bid or if i could go ahead and you know throw in 5 10 20 on a player that was very difficult for me to try and navigate. My first year, I was very hesitant and unsure 
of when was a good time to drop a player. Um, I tried to use some of the advice that people gave me, but even with that, I just was playing scared. Whereas this last year, um, I went ahead and went all in. There were players that, and I can't even remember who, because he was just so bad, and I just didn't like him on my team. But within the first month, I was like, this is ridiculous. He's not doing anything. I know he was high on my draft board, but I'm cutting him. I'm not going to deal with this for the rest of the season. And so I did. I went ahead and cut him. So I played a lot more like that with Fab and went ahead and picked up guys um, that I thought would be more productive for me. I did a better job, I think, of taking a look at what I needed and going for small pieces for a short period of time rather than trying to pick up someone exciting that would last me for the rest of the season. Some, yeah, hit, some misses. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, Justin, I mentioned um, when you're using Fab, um, are, you, are you looking at guys that, sorry, if you're doing fab, are you looking for specific stats? Are, are there certain stats or certain types of players that kind of you kind of hang your hat on knowing that you can identify them a little bit quicker and you can get them a little bit sooner than the rest of your leagues? And thus, maybe you are fading them a little bit more in your drafts, knowing that your talent level for finding these types of players uh, uh, during the season um, can kind of you can kind of focus on something else during the draft. How, how is uh, how is your fab strategy? Yeah, I don't know that I have like a particular type of player. Um, I mean, there's obviously for me, it's a matter of like depth of league and like how uh, how you know, categorical kind of um, issues. Like, you know, I like to leave my league or my drafts with saves and stolen bases because I know how much more difficult they can be in season to find. But for the most part, like I feel like because I do so much content, because I do so much work, like I don't necessarily have a like a type of player that i'm uh not very good at you know kind of identifying uh in season via fab so i don't feel like i have a huge weak point uh there i think my my bigger weak point has been more of um being too aggressive early and then finding out i don't have fab by the end of the season <laughs> yeah, definitely more difficult to uh, kind of gauge what the rest of the room is going to do each and every week in the first like two months of the season when everybody has a thousand dollars to start. Um, it gets a little bit easier, obviously, when you realize, oh, I'm the only one with money or, oh, I'm the only one without money <laughs> come <laughs> the second half of the season. Uh, so I, I get that. Kevin, um, I think we've talked about this a couple of times. I really want you to reiterate this uh, kind of like your game plan, especially for your reserve picks for your bench spots for the last five to seven rounds of a draft um when it comes are, are these picks that you are looking at being contributors to your team long term um or are most of them basically weak 0.5 fab uh fab runs basically the fab run you do without spending any fab money with your expectation that you're not going to be holding on to these guys past maybe week two or three I think it changes as draft season progresses. Early in draft season, it's it's my 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 lottery tickets, guys that I I think have big upside, but it, it's not very likely that we're going to see it uh, because if we don't, then they're they're my first drops of the year. As we get closer to the season, then I'm looking more at the the schedule, first couple of weeks of the season. 
maybe three weeks. One good example uh, is Martin Perez in my most recent um, on the wire listener league. Uh, I was looking at the Rangers schedule early in the season when I made that pick. Uh, he may not. I, well, I'm almost certain he's not going to repeat what he did last season, but early in the year, it, it looks like um, after he gets possibly the probably the Orioles who are going to be better than we think. So that's why I'm saying after that game even may not even use him at home in Texas against the Orioles as crazy as that would have sounded a couple of years ago. But then they face the Royals twice and the Athletics and the Reds. So it, it's a it's it's a schedule thing as well and it will be continue to be more and more along those lines as we get closer to the season. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, um, I think the, con um, consistently, you consistently hear this from analysts, from, from fantasy analysts, especially baseball, that you just don't draft fab leagues in, or in October and November, December. And of course our first listener league, all of our listener leagues are fab leagues. They're 12 teamers, uh, with fab on the NFBC platform. And of course, our first one drafted November 15th. Um, and I personally found the exact uh, to kind of echo a lot of what you just said, Kevin, like I had a lot more fun playing uh, drafting a fab league in November in December than I did drafting my DC because I could throw out those darts and feel good about it, like feel actually like confident about it because I know that come week one, like I have no problem dra uh, dropping probably my final you know seven to eight picks of that draft um knowing that a lot of things will change throughout the off season and into spring training going into the opening day um so i had a lot of fun drafting those leagues and we'll be doing an episode later on in in, in march probably kind of comparing what where teams went with those final five picks in the early november in the november drafts versus um one of our march drafts coming up uh, just to see the strategy change as you mentioned um a lot of things you're looking at a lot of things differently come the last five rounds in march when a lot more things are known um and a lot more uh question marks are are answered um danielle i want to i want to end this little segment with you guys by giving you an opportunity to provide your own advice you were given a lot of advice when you first started tgfbi um two years ago and a lot of it either you didn't know how to use <laughs> or <laughs> probably are still trying to figure out how to use um yeah, but if absolutely. there is any additional piece of advice that you could impart into listeners that may be thinking about jumping in on on their own um somebody who is not in the industry who is thinking about jumping in um, or is planning on jumping in one of the TGFBI satellite leagues that Justin you put on um, as well. Um, one something I also completely recommend anybody do. Um, I, I was lucky enough before I got into pitch pitcher list, I was able to play in one of those satellite leagues myself. Um, but is there anything that you could impart today that almost you wish you were that you learned over the last two years that you either wish somebody taught you or something that's really you, you've really kind of honed in on throughout the last two years? Yeah, absolutely. Do not start playing fantasy baseball by jumping into a huge, very, very public expert league with lots of people who know a lot more about what they're doing than you do. And it's also a roto league, which apparently is very difficult to jump in on. So 
basically that's that's the short version you know i've gotten the opportunity to talk to a lot of other fantasy baseball players um in person in uh, las vegas and also in arizona and it was great because i got to learn about other leagues that are out there other styles of play um whether it's the you know the dfs was actually really fun for me because i could do it one day um and it was short and quick and easy and then that was it so i really enjoyed that the eliminator league was a lot of fun um so that i didn't have to spend so much time in it my recommendation would be number one find some friends who are interested in doing it as well and then go around and take a look at the different sites that host free leagues and find the one that has the setup um, the rules maybe that you're most comfortable with and start off there just to dip your toe in because ultimately it's about having fun and enjoying some time with your friends and i think that that's a, a great way to do it and if you can build from there and go on to something more even better I, I love that advice. Um, I, I mean, I know that there are plenty of free public leagues out there. Um, you do have to be careful with some of them, especially halfway through the season. If you play in enough of those public leagues, you know half that league will completely <laughs> ignore what's going on if they're if they feel like they're out of it by you know by the All Star break. Um, and so, knowing what your competition level is going in and by the end of the season. So, if you win your league, you're not you know, you're feeling good about yourself, but at the same time, you also have to know who you're going up against so you yeah. can take those steps um, in, the, in the next season for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to echo something you kind of you kind of touched on. Um, but when you're looking at when you're looking to get advice, knowing the format in which you are playing in, not only knowing the rules of your league and the format you're playing in, but if you're listening to podcasts, if you're listening to us, if you're listening to anybody else, if you're reading content, um, you really need to know where their target is, who their who their information, their advice that they're giving is targeted toward. Um, and then you're able to, and then you should be able to change and, and adapt that information and that advice into how it might impact your league and your format. Um, you know, I mean, in our show, we, we focus a lot on NFBC fab periods um, and, and the, player pools that are available there and we talk about 12 teamers versus 15 teamers um, but they're between head-to-head -head leagues between fastest fingers dynasty keeper leagues points leagues Otnu. there's only so many different formats that you kind of touched on there danielle that it's really important that you kind of when you're choosing the advice to take um you, you're choosing wisely in that you're fi finding ways that you can take good advice and adapt it into the leagues that you're playing in yeah all right. Well, that um, that was all really great. I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time. I know you all you both had uh, your own presentations during PitchCon yesterday. So uh, I believe that that day three stream of PitchCon is live on Twitch. So if anybody wants to go back and you didn't get a chance to watch uh, Danielle or Justin's uh, uh work there make sure you do that because it was amazing and i appreciate <laughs> the, all the work and effort that you both put in there um and if you're not following either one of these guys on twitter make sure you're doing that as well then you put out a, a screenshot i think of that uh um the curse uh the curse sheet on, yeah. on twitter that was a great read <laughs> <laughs> nick did an amazing job with that 1898 memo from major league baseball yes. about which curse words 
would not be able to be said at the ball field yeah amongst <laughs> others amongst i guess others. they really wanted to put out the big ones that you couldn't yeah. say <laughs> yeah but those panels them specifically will be available on the pitch uh the pitcher list youtube channel in the coming days weeks uh but you can watch the entire day stream of days one two and three on the twitch on the twitch channel as well um justin besides potapalooza and your 30 pods in 30 days uh uh what uh anything else that uh you're working on besides everything yeah, I mean, I write daily at Fangraphs. Um, I may have a couple new things coming up pretty soon, but I'm not quite ready to announce them yet. Um, so, uh, and yeah, I'm on Sleeper in the Bus, TGFBI podcast, and the Friends Fantasy Benefits podcast. That's about it. Not much. Not much. No. Less no. than less than in the past. <laughs> yes, yes. I've, I've turned it, turned it back a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thank sure. you so much for being part of our hundredth episode. Um, I, uh, I I hope to see you guys again soon. Maybe separately. Maybe you're a package deal in the future as well. I'm not sure. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys. Thanks, Thanks for Thank you, thank you all so much. All right, guys, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Um, and just the fact I want to remind everybody out there watching that, of course, this is PitchCon 2023, uh, all with 100% of the proceeds uh, going toward the ALS Association. Uh, make sure you are giving generously and often um, as much as you can. I'm pretty sure Nick tracks uh, who, who generates the most uh, donations during their panel. So make us look good. Throw out as much as you can in there. Um, I know Kevin and I have already donated. I'll probably donate a little bit more th before the end of the day. Um, make sure that you know you're, you're getting in on those prizes. Um, there's a whole bunch of great prizes, including forgot to mention it while they were here, but the Justin Mason bathing suit. Which if you search if you search enough, you'll find Justin modeling it somewhere on the internet. Um, and make sure that you're getting in on whatever all of the great prizes that you're looking at. Is there is there something that that piqued your um, interest the most, Kevin? Uh, you know, I, I didn't really look at the list that closely, but I, I did see that as always, you know, I, I think the, everybody is so generous and it's amazing. And the, and the fact that the only way you can get a lifetime PL pro membership is through this and winning this, uh, uh, the, the raffle at, at the end of the day, that that's amazing. Well, what's really cool about that is if if we're going to stick with it as in the past, of course, you'll get into Discord, into the PL Discord, and you get your own color. <laughs> your right. name shows up in a different color than everybody else, like, except for probably the other uh, two or three who have won uh, the equivalent prize in, in the past. But it's a very elite club <laughs> to be in on that. So make sure you're getting on that. So we got, um, I can't believe we still get 20 minutes. So we should probably keep going with this so that Nick doesn't have a bunch of dead air. Um, hopefully we can get a, uh, an, another guest in here. Uh, we're going to, you know what? I had that Rolodex. I'm going to roll it around. Um, I'm going to go all the way back to our very first guest. This is episode two of On The Wire. Uh, I'm going to rejoin us today again to celebrate our 100th episode. Uh, please welcome Yancey Eaton back to the show. What's up, guys? Yancey? What's up, Yancey? Really good to see you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I think this is the second or the third time, third or fourth. I I've been on the show before is the point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind uh, of a big it deal. It is a big deal, yeah. It's its own special torture whenever um, 
everybody's like talking about you and you're like not in the podcast. So uh, it is good to jump on and uh, congrats on a hundred guys. I've, I've, I've made the same joke multiple times, but to get to a hundred for a fantasy baseball podcast, which is incredibly niche and there is not a gigantic uh, audience, even some of the biggest podcasts that you guys can think of, they do not have massive listenerships and it's not the most lucrative of things to do with your time. <laughs> so to get to a hundred episodes, you guys have to truly enjoy doing it. And it's obvious that you guys do. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, you so did, much. Nancy. If we could keep the whole not lucrative part down to a minimum while my <laughs> wife is in earshot, that would really appreciate that. Yeah. She thinks you're, you're absolutely printing money, right? Exactly. Yeah. No idea. All right. <laughs> the, the best part about this is when I'm watching a game and my wife says, asks me to do something. I say, when I'm done working, yeah, as I'm watching a baseball game. Yeah. I, I like yeah. Like uh, I do like the comment that we have from Shrubsy. Um, for those who are listening just on audio, my background is a gigantic uh, picture of uh, Pitchless founder and uh, podcaster Nick Pollock. Uh, it, it was is a picture. It's not with... actually Nick, like right yeah. oh, looking over your shoulder. Yeah, just a beautiful smile, beautiful head of hair, beautiful teeth. Look at him. Uh, just a complete package. But um, it was the first thing whenever I Googled Nick Pollock. Um, so there we go. That's what popped up. It wasn't his uh, his Brandeis picture, uh, his pitcher picture, because I'm pretty sure that no, can be found I, pretty easily as well. Yeah, that could have been found. I have some really good pictures of him when he was younger, like playing guitar and stuff that I could have used. I mean, I really could have hurt him if I chose to. But um, that's not why we're here. <laughs> yeah, we kept it pretty tame. Well, Yanti, you, um, you have been not in the industry for a long time. And what I mean by that is that you've been um, communicating, you've been conversing, you've been part of the fantasy baseball industry in such that you listen to a ton of podcasts, you take in a lot of content, you listen to a lot of advice, if you will. How much mm -hmm. of that advice you use? I don't know. That's on you. That's fine. Um, but because you consume so much, um, I love to ask you basically what how important do you think advice is um to be presented um what i mean by that is where what's more important the if the advice is being presented really well or the source material itself um justin touched on he's an analyst first um he's a player second if you will um he's in the business of giving you know good advice that he would follow um but in your mind do you follow or do you take the advice more so of somebody who seems to be more of an analyst or somebody that's more of a seasoned player? Um, I absolutely hate cliche answers. So I'm going to try really hard during this 15 <laughs> minutes that we're talking to avoid cliches. It really is kind of a combination of both. Um, like our standard bear within the industry and he gets a lot of love and deservedly so he's a good friend of mine but Vlad Sedler is kind of both of those things he is a high stakes crusher in multiple sports he plays DFS uh, you know he's basically taken FTN from like an unknown entity to you know a premier destination for fantasy baseball content um, his column that he writes weekly is you know hundreds of players use it and they use that against him in high stakes leagues where he is still winning and performing um, he's just all around an excellent player and he's an even better analyst and I think that's extremely rare and hard to do um, so if anybody you know wants to model somebody it's Vlad right um, but I don't think that precludes people who maybe aren't necessarily the best players or Perhaps they just haven't played in as many leagues. They don't have as large of a sample of showing that success, but there may be data there that is um, something that they're presenting or something that they've uncovered that is interesting. I think there's so much value in just trying to 
be very meticulous on how you weight the types of information sources that are coming to you. I do listen to everything. I do read everything. And I've gotten pretty good at quickly identifying uh, how much effort and work was going behind this, right? If it's just a tweet that is just uh, basically a screenshot of their StackCast page. I'm just going to assume that this person probably didn't put a whole lot of thought into it, but I still want to take that in because I like getting a pulse of what the industry is thinking or what just regular players are thinking. I do think there is value in knowing that 84 analysts have all identified Lars Newtbar as a breakout this year, right? I've, I've already seen it a bunch. It's, it's going to happen a bunch. Everybody's talking about Justin Steele. Everybody's talking about Christian Javier making the leap to being an SP1 and you know being taken in the second round next year. I think that all of those things have value. That's a really long way of saying I don't just um, I just don't take one tweet that anybody says at face value. I kind of build a rapport with people and I, I want to see how often are they consistently right. I'm back testing those things. I don't necessarily care um, if Alex Chamberlain isn't the best and if BC high stakes grinder um, because he's doing some of the most beneficial work that everybody builds their projections and kind of their player analyses off of. Um, and it's just two completely different skill sets. Um, so you really have to just spend a lot of time with who it is that you're trusting. Uh, another one of my pet peeves, and I'm talking super long, I'll come up for air in a second, like Kevin talk. Um, another one of my pet peeves is whenever, um, you know, people keep saying in a lot of analysts say this, they're like, I don't read or listen to anybody else because I don't want to be biased by them. I think that is the complete opposite of a Bayesian approach, which is you're not supposed to shield yourself from external information. You're supposed to hone your craft and make yourself better at ascertaining what is useful and what isn't. The answer isn't to like lock yourself up in your house and not read anything. It's to get better at, at back testing mm -hmm. and seeing what sources are good because they will improve your game. Um, so, Overall, that's that's kind of where I'm at with this. I want to see a track record with people as far as like how often are they right? Not everybody's going to be right all the time, but um, you know how often are they right? If they are consistently crushing in these high stakes games, there's also a direct correlation to how often people are tweeting versus how good of a player they are. I think that some of like the most winningest players in NFBC rarely tweet, um, and you know I think there's something to be said to that too. So whenever they do say something, it carries a little bit more weight. This is the longest answer I've ever given, but it really just depends. <laughs> it really just depends. And I, I say spend a lot of time and really think about and be uh, meticulous and mindful to pull that word from the first half of the segment. Be mindful of um, who it is that you're listening to. Kevin, I want, I want you to respond to a piece that I, I got from Yancey's long-winded answer to a very short question. Um, yeah. <laughs> he <laughs> talked about how he listened to a lot of people and like there's something to be said about everybody's in on Lars Newbar. Everybody's talking about Justin Steele. Yes, Nick, people like Justin Steele. Um, how, how difficult, I guess, is it to not just latch on to good advice that you hear from somebody about Lars Newbar, even though like maybe you don't have time to look into that, into Lars Newbar to make sure that you um, agree with it, but you trust the person that you're listening to um, that you want to turn around and it's not Lars Nubar in season, he's going to be drafted. But like, if you hear somebody else say, hey, you should be looking at this guy for your fab, how difficult it is for you to be like, you know what? That's probably good advice. I trust this person. I'm going to go ahead and regurgitate that on our show um, without doing the due diligence of that. Because you know what? Some, I mean, it seems like that would be a really easy thing to be able to cherry pick and do throughout the course of the season. I, I, I don't think... I would ever just say something 
on, on the show because I heard it somewhere else. Uh, I, I think we, there's the, the aspect of getting advice isn't just because we think they know more than we do. A lot of it is it's a time saver, right? So even if we're not going to start from scratch and end up in the same spot as, as something we're hearing, hearing at first lets us skip a whole lot of steps and then go do the, the a, a little less work, but still look further into what's going on there, right? So I, I think that's part of it. Um, it, it it's really interesting. I, I love what Yancey said uh, about, you know, track record uh i think that plays a big part there i've there can be a track record of things that we hear and it doesn't necessarily have to be considered advice at the time just little things that we pick up from listening to people over time that gives us value when we're doing our own research and like i said letting us skip some steps and go straight to oh let's just go see why they like Lars Newtbar not starting from scratch and waiting for Lars Newtbar to come to the top of our searches. I mean, I think that um, you kind of touched on this too, and it, it leads to this question about like, it, you guys talk about um, having a track record. I, I would be very surprised if there's anybody out there literally tracking <laughs> all of the advice everybody's given and kind of comparing it over time and making a nice tableau um, of spreadsheet and whatever that you can kind of look that up. But my my guess is that it's how that present, how that information has been presented, how it sticks in your head. I talked about um, I still remember, you know, the Matt Carpenter thing from Justin and, 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 and Sleeper in the Bus and all that because it's just the way it was presented, how it impacted my decision-making at that time. And that has stuck with me. A lot more other positive things have stuck with me with those guys, don't get me wrong. Um, but Yancey, like, how does the presentation of, of, what, of the information that people are presenting in the content that you're consuming impact how much you're going to latch onto them? I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, Nick is extremely excited, rightfully so, about PLV. We saw it in the intro of PitchCon, that, that two-hour presentation, um, mm -hmm. and how much he's been teasing it over all of the podcasts throughout the last couple of weeks. Um, and that's to say there's a lot of um, effort and time and, and, and energy that he's put into that and how proud he is of it. Um, does that play into how you consume um, or trust the advice that you're that you're listening to, um, or you know, is the, is the presentation not that important? I, I I'm not sure if I like the word presentation, but I I do think that effort matters quite a bit, right? Um, there is it's very very cheap and easy to start a podcast or to tweet out some takes about a player, um, mm -hmm. and I'm always trying to identify how much time and effort went into this, how much research was back behind it, um, you know. There, like I said, there are a lot of podcasts and, you know, unfortunately a lot of them kind of, it sounds like it's a, you know, people reading off of a StatCast page or fan graphs or, you know, what have you. There's not a whole lot of context. It's not league specific. Um, 
it's just kind of them talking about a player and that they like them and they they use like very um, kind of ambiguous terms as far as like, yeah, I like him as a breakout or I think he's a value, but they don't really entail what that means. And, you know, sometimes saying like somebody is a value, that means that you think they're going to hit three more home runs in their projection and maybe they're a value at that ADP, but the second they rise 10 or 15 spots, they're no longer a value. And I think that kind of context matters. So um, overall, whenever I see people being in, like extremely methodical and calculated with how they use their words, um, that's what I'm looking at as far as presentation goes. How long did it take them to create something like this? I have no interest in like hot takes or bold predictions, those types of things. It used to be catnip. I used to absolutely love stuff like that, but now I'm a, a lot more calculated with what it is that I actually um, gravitate towards. Yeah. I mean, Kevin, same thing. I mean, we talk, we're, I think we're pretty specific in season when we're giving reasons why we are um, giving advice to pick up certain players in certain situations. And that changes throughout the course of the season um, because, you know, you're looking for different things in August than you are in, in April, if you will. Um, But when you are trying to back up the reason for your, for your, the players that you're suggesting, um, how easy is it for you to just latch on to stats that you like you've been using for years versus new stats that come up that come up that may or may not uh, be beneficial? Yeah, I, I think along those lines. But the bigger issue for me is the the words that come out of my mouth aren't always exactly what is in my head. And, and it's Same. because of tendencies <laughs> that we've had over, over time. Right. Uh, it, it, especially right. Writing a, a weekly fab article or us talking about fab each week when we're playing five by five rotisserie fantasy baseball, in most cases, that's what we're talking about. Uh, it, and because categories are batting average and ERA, we use those terms quite often when writing or speaking when that's that's you know he he's got a 2.5 era over his last eight starts that's going to come up because that's the result we're looking for even though we know in our head that that past era doesn't have much of a correlation on future era right so i i have i i have a big problem not using those terms um, because it's the end result that we're hoping for and talking about when it comes to those categories, uh, even though just because he had a that, that great ERA over the last few starts isn't indicative of what's going to happen. Uh, and we know that, but it, 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 it's difficult. Like, yeah, he's done this. Uh, that's not necessarily why we like him going forward, but we think he can continue. And, and that's what I'm trying to improve on is, is not using some of the, the words and language that we, we know isn't really the reason we, we like the guy. But what is the real reason? And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to concentrate on that more. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. It's, it, it's the concentration part that especially in, uh, you're doing your pod and like I all the editing that I want to do at the end is minimal. So it's like the, I want to do as much concentration during the show as I can so that we are not spending, you know, two hours editing the show after the fact. Um, you take in a lot of advice, Yancey, you have for years. Um, mm-hmm. I want you to and I give you this question in advance so you've had time to think about it. Um I want you to give me what is the single best and single worst piece of advice you've ever been given that you have actually acted on. Um, 
you do not have to name names. You're, I'd rather you didn't. <laughs> you can tell us off air later on who they were. Um, but in general, what was that advice and and how did it uh, kind of impact you in your game? Yeah, sure. So you didn't actually put in the show uh, notes, the show outline, if this was fantasy or non-fantasy related. So I'll give you one of non-fantasy and fantasy very quickly. Loophole. The worst advice I ever got um, was actually from my dad. Um, and this isn't anything mean to say about my dad, but um, before I got married, he basically told me that um, when it comes to life in general and, and dealing with other people, hell is other people and you can be happy or you can be right. He basically said it was like as clear cut as that, right? And obviously my dad, he's probably coming from some experience that was difficult for him and an upbringing that he was probably still grappling with and is still grappling with to this day. But um, I don't believe that you have to choose to be happier to be right. I think you have to choose to actively engage with people at, a, at an emotional level and actually work to communicate. And that has served me very well. Um, yeah, just the idea that now that you get married, your life is over and you can't be happy and right at the same time. I don't think that exists. Um, just wanted to get that in there. It doesn't help anybody. Will not help you win your teams. Uh, from a fantasy hey, no. standpoint, the um, some of the best advice, Toby, uh, Bat, Batflip Crazy actually says this all the time, which is there are many, many ways to win. Um, when I first started playing, I was very... Um, I would just latch onto whatever the last podcast was that I had said. And I remember when I first started listening, um, I was listening to the CBS Fantasy Baseball podcast, and Nando DeFino said something about like Adam Eaton being a sleeper. And without me really having any type of context, I just assumed that that meant that I need to draft Adam Eaton in every single league. And I did, right? Um, or, you know, hearing somebody say something about like, Unieski Betancourt having like a hot two weeks. So I'm dropping players mm -hmm. that I picked up in the fourth or fifth round. Um, so, that that whole idea of 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 being given advice without the context around it, I'm so big on. Tell me exactly what the league size is. Tell me what types of players you're dropping these people for. I actually love that Danielle, um, you know, basically said like some of the advice that Yancy gave me, or actually all of it, wasn't particularly <laughs> helpful, right? Because it, I was coming from a place where, um, you know, after having played for years, I was able to kind of you know, trial and do A and B testing of what worked and what didn't for me, but she still did not have that actual base set of skills and understanding of the game. And I kind of just threw everything at her. So the same thing that like I get upset with, you know, fantasy podcasters and, and people on Twitter and analysts and stuff, whenever they just throw stuff out without context, like, hey, look at this, you know, hashtag wow. And it's just a screenshot of a stat cast page with no context whatsoever. Or picture um, pictureless player page. Yeah. Yeah. Or a pictureless player page with yeah. absolutely no notes or anything like that, right? Um, you know, that's what I was doing with her. So I always want that extra level. Like, don't just say like, oh, this guy is a pickup. You guys actually do this pretty well. You guys are talking about specifically what type of leagues, what type of format. You know, maybe this player doesn't really play up in a points league. These are the types of players I'm looking for in this range that I, you know, maybe you can perhaps wait for these two or three players after those. That context is so, so important. And I think that's kind of what newer players need to look out for is, is this analyst actually giving me um, like a really practical piece of advice that's actionable and it makes sense for my league. Um, as far as like, so so the whole like one size fits all thing, don't buy into that. I love that Toby says this, there's many ways to win. I've seen people take three or four starting pitchers to start a league and they completely dusted me. I've seen people double pump elite catchers and win. I've seen people not take any saves in the draft and they struck it super late and, you know, won an overall, right? There's many ways. And I think if you just focus on uh, every single fantasy league is a puzzle as opposed to just, um, and we're already up against time, man, time goes so fast. Um, 
you just think of it as a puzzle and there's many ways to win and there's not one person who's a shaman that has all the right answers. I think that's it. Nick says, keep going. We got the green light. Cool. All right. All right. <laughs> good for you. Good for you, Nick. Thank you. Um, it is our hundredth episode. Every while. And like I said, we can very easily, we didn't even do a news and notes section. And if we did a news and notes section, there's always plenty of, we'd uh, just be getting started. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, well, I think that is, uh, I mean, that pretty much sums up a lot of what we wanted to talk about. Um, I do want to end the show like we we typically do, Kevin, um, and give you an opportunity to give your give your final thoughts, Kevin's final thoughts of the show. Um, any additional piece of advice, um, either having to do with what we talked about um, or anything else that you want to you want to impart onto our listeners after uh, finishing off episode one hundred. Yeah, I got a couple of things. Um... Uh, first, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given, and it, it came from several people, but one in particular, uh, was it was actually Eno Saris. You need to go to First Pitch Arizona. That's what he looked at me and said, you need to go to First Pitch Arizona. And, and that's not a dig at either of you, who I would love to see there next year when, when we're there, but it, it, it was great advice. It was absolutely amazing. And then... I think after all the analysis we do and everything we put into it, the hours and hours of time each week that we put into our fantasy baseball teams, whether you want to call it the fantasy baseball gods, whether you want to call it, call it fantasy karma, uh, all of the scientists in this community, which there are many and they're amazing, would say that it's variance, right? All of that. You don't want to mess up your fantasy karma for the upcoming season. And uh, the, the whole point of uh, this pitch con is we're raising money for ALS research. Great fantasy karma there. Uh, you don't want to be sitting there in September with a league on the line and your starting pitcher when you need a win gets pulled with four and two thirds and say, ah, if I had just hit send on that donation during pitch con. So uh, yeah, fantasy karma. Let's uh, let's keep it going today and, and get to that $10,000 goal. There we go. That's why we're here, right? Um, that is great advice for everybody. Um, I, I'm going to change, switch it up a little bit more. Uh, Nancy, I'm going to let you have the last word here only because I'm curious. We've done 100 episodes. Mm -hmm. We are on our way to doing another 100 more um, over the next two years. Um, is there any, you gave us some great advice early on. You were our first guest. Um, and actually, you haven't been on the show since. Well, you've been on a lot of other shows, uh, but this is the first time you've been back on. <laughs> Um, Hard to keep track. How, yeah. That's how memorable we are, uh, <laughs> that you just import us into your memories uh, when they didn't exist. Um, is there any? Is there a small piece of advice that you can provide to us um, as we impart into uh, the next hundred? Um, I will just say very quickly because I know we have to wrap up. Um, whenever I, I've actually been asked to be the first guest on several podcasts, I think it's because the stakes feel so low with me, um, and I. <laughs> I'm humbled and I really appreciate that. Um, no, but uh, knowing that you guys made it to 100, um, you guys are doing like the things that are really hard that make podcasts go away, which is you guys do care about it. Um, if you really want to grow your audience, you guys really need to start attacking people's character and going after people and naming their names. <laughs> uh, so you could consider that. That's one way to grow the show. Good, um, it's advice. <laughs> I, yeah, I would just say double down on what you guys do well, which is um, you guys really give good context surrounding a player and exactly how valuable they are. So the more specific you can get, um, I, I 
hate whenever people say like, oh, you have to make a podcast for everybody. No, you don't. You need to make something that's super niche and you need to have a hundred super fans and those people will support you forever. So you guys just double down on being as niche and as extremely esoteric as you can in your analysis. And I think good things will follow. So thanks for having me. I, I am getting my podcast confused. I thought I was on here twice, but whatever. <laughs> there fun. are uh, quite a few podcasts on the Picture List Podcast Network yeah. and you've been on several of them, um, rightfully so. So but that, you know what? After all that, that is going to do it for the 100th episode of On The Wire. Um, of course, I am Adam Howe. Follow me at 80 grade. This is uh, joined, as always, by Kevin Hastings, at Hastings Kevin. And with after all that, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.